0: If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life, including the future of work. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. Imagine you're applying for a job at a new company, and when you ask what it's like to work there, they tell you the following. It's hard work. You find yourself making sacrifices. It's a real struggle, but the work is good. Well, of course we work nights and weekends. It's a burden, but somebody's got to carry it. And if you leave early, well, you are going to have to make up the time. (laughs) Would you want to work there? I'm guessing most of us wouldn't. Yet, that's by and large how it used to be, and there's a significant cadre of people in the workforce who are still governed by these beliefs, attitudes, and perceptions about work life. And it is changing, but there are still many people who think about work this way. And then, of course, there are those whose attitudes are diametrically opposed to that, those who value their personal and family time over their work. I'm predicting that we are going to see these two competing sets of values clash in the workplace in 2023 a whole lot. This week and in the coming weeks, I'm sharing more about the predictions that I made for work life and the future of work in 2023 back in episode 92. For the next few episodes, I'm doing a deep dive on each prediction and the future implications for that prediction. Before we jump into this prediction, let me remind you quickly of all the predictions that I made for work-life for 2023 when I recorded episode 92 a few weeks back. Prediction number one, the labor shortage will continue and in fact, will get worse. I covered that in depth last week on episode 93. Prediction number two, we will experience a values clash at work. And that's what we're diving into today. Prediction number three. Artificial intelligence becomes more useful in everyday work. Prediction number four, return to office and work from home will clash in a push-pull relationship. And prediction number five, interpersonal skills become the most valuable skills at work. Okay, so in this episode, as promised, we are digging into prediction number two, that there will be a values clash in the workplace that pits those who live to work, against those who work to live. So I'm predicting that we're going to see these two sets of competing values clash in the workplace a lot. And to some extent, it may fall along generational lines. At least, that's an easy assumption to draw. And it's important to remember that generalizations and stereotypes on generations are often very unfair and that the perceptions of any generation are complex and multifaceted. Now, I know this firsthand because I'm a Gen Xer. We were also known as the latchkey generation because we were the first generation to regularly experience both parents working and having to let ourselves into the house after school, hence the latchkey. And that there typically was no mom with fresh baked cookies waiting for us when the bus dropped us off after school, as was the case, so I'm told, or that popular culture would have us believe in the previous generation. Then, as we eventually entered the workforce in the 1980s and 1990s, we were often labeled as lazy and disengaged by the media and by older generations. But why did this perception exist? Well, We Gen Xers grew up during a time of economic instability and high unemployment, which contributed to a sense of cynicism and skepticism about traditional career paths and long-term job security. When our dads and moms were getting laid off in the 1980s from jobs that they thought they'd retire from, well, we got cynical. You see, our largely baby boomer parents had this strong sense of loyalty to their employers. Most of them grew up in a time when finding a job and staying with one company for an extended period of time was still the norm. As a result, baby boomers have this strong sense of loyalty to their employers. They were often willing to go above and beyond to ensure the success of the company. Until they got massively laid off in the 1980s, when we were kids. So you can see where that cynicism and distrust in the institutions that previous generations trusted so easily came from. That attitude also got us Gen Xers labeled as lazy by those older generations who were used to a more traditional linear approach to how work got done specifically and how careers were managed more generally. We also came of age during the rise of technology and personal computers, which allowed for more flexible and decentralized work arrangements. This made it easier for Gen Xers to create their own work-life balance and work on their own terms. (laughs) But again, this got us labeled as lazy and disengaged by those older generations who were used to a more rigid work schedule. Even though the generalization is not accurate and not every individual from this generation can be considered lazy or disengaged, it's important to remember that that was the prevalent attitude and perception during that time, the time when I was entering the workforce. Now, I share all of this to demonstrate that I and my generation know what it's like to be called lazy and perceived as not having a strong work ethic by our baby boomer and traditionalist generation bosses, who were prominently, if not exclusively, our managers at the time. Now, what's totally interesting, and part of why I say that we are holding these generational lines and stereotypes very loosely in this conversation, is that I now regularly see those from my generation, Gen Xers, having the attitudes that the baby boomers and traditionalists had toward us. It's as if generation Xers became the generation before us. Now answering email in the evening, cranking out a big report on the weekend because there wasn't time to get it done during the work week, amidst the back-to-back meetings that we have all day long, every day. And that gives rise to some Gen Xers now thinking that millennials are acting lazy and perhaps entitled with their commitment to a more balanced work-life blend. Gen Zers as well. So, yeah, some Gen Xers are starting to sound like those baby boomers who've been known for their strong work ethic, loyalty, and commitment to their careers. (laughs) So, perhaps some of this is age and maturation in one's career, not necessarily driven by a specific generation. We can't really say. And as a quick side note, when we look internationally, especially to our neighbors in Europe, All of this is very different. If you look to which countries have the best work-life balance, you would see Denmark, Sweden, France, and Italy dominating the various lists. But I digress. But as for generations here in the U.S., maybe it's just best to acknowledge that some of this may follow generational patterns, but it's not exclusively the case. So we'll set the generations aside for now, and we'll examine the issue as those who live to work and those who work to live. I do think it's important for us to consider and to some extent debunk the generational component of this. It's not exclusively along those generational lines. Those who live to work are typically highly driven and ambitious individuals. They're deeply invested in their careers and they see work as the primary source of fulfillment and purpose in their lives are often willing to put in the long hours and make significant sacrifices in order to advance their careers, help their companies, and achieve success. (laughs) They're the ones who would work on Christmas if they could get away with it. (laughs) Now, you might be wanting to jump in and make some generalizations about generations yourself, but remember that we're not going to make any sweeping generalizations about the generations. But we've got those who live to work. Now, I think the tide might really be turning on this. I was recently speaking at a conference where the conversation turned up in the audience. An audience member asked me if I thought the live-to-work attitude was on its way out. As I facilitated an engaging and spirited conversation of audience members, people who had been in the live-to-work camp were saying that they've started to shift their behavior and started to question why they've been allowing work to dominate their lives and their identities for so long and many of them cited the pandemic as a turning point in examining their values and how they've been spending their time. With literally hundreds of millions of people getting sick and millions of people dying, the pandemic jarred many people into facing their own mortality and taking stock of their lives, work, first and foremost. Now, when you contrast your own mortality with Climbing the career ladder and managing a bigger portfolio of clients or a bigger staff or a bigger budget, well, those things start to look rather trivial in the face of your own mortality. However, there were lots of people who just kept climbing the career ladder working toward the corner office all throughout the pandemic. At its worst, they commandeered the guest room and made that their corner office, They worked even more, and they rarely emerged from that closed door to engage with their family or Zoom with a friend or even have a socially distanced conversation with their neighbor in the backyard. As soon as it was safe, and probably quite a bit before it was technically safe, they were back in the office. And for a time, they were understanding about their employees' personal circumstances. Well, for a time. But then they went back to caring more about their spreadsheets, their budget, their annual bonus. In short, they went back to living to work rather quickly, if they ever left there at all. Now, even if you want to shake this attitude, it can be a challenge. Here in the United States, we have been culturally conditioned to define ourselves and our identity in terms of our career. If you're at a social event, meeting new people, chances are one of the first questions you get asked is, so what do you do, or where do you work? Your family, your hobbies, and other interests certainly take a backseat to your professional identity. At least they did for many people, prior to the pandemic. On the other hand, those who work to live and are earning a living in order to support their lifestyle are typically more focused on achieving a balance between their professional and their personal lives. They view work as a means to an end rather than an end in itself. They're often less willing to sacrifice their personal time and well-being in the pursuit of career advancement they're going to leave the office early, whether it's their home office or the actual office, when something in the rest of their lives needs their attention. They're not going to be as committed or as engaged as those who are living to work. Now, the pandemic ushered in many new ways of working that really lend themselves to the work-to-live camp. Working from home, working flexible hours, blending caretaking of family members, whether they be younger family members or older, within their workday, and so forth. And some companies like Buffer and Kickstarter have gone to a four-day work week. In fact, the list of companies who have done so or are currently experimenting with it are not just tech companies, although there are many tech companies who are trying it, it's companies in the other sectors of the, of the business world as well. And even public agencies are following suit. Boulder County in Colorado Moved to a four day work week in 2021, closing its offices to the public on Fridays. <laughs> Just to make sure this was still the case that I remembered reading about back then, I hopped on Boulder County's website and took a look at their open job positions. And yep, they're all four days a week. Heck, even the whole state of California is considering it, or at least they were. In 2022, the California legislature introduced a bill that aimed to formally change the work week from 40 hours. To 32 hours without reducing pay. However, that legislation, Assembly Bill 2932, mandating a four-day work week for large employers, those with 50 or more employees, that bill was tabled because there was too little time to study its implications before the legislative session ended. Now, I expect this is not the end of the conversation in California and elsewhere about a four-day work week. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. And so, in sum, we've got these two sets of competing values. They can get in the way of relationships at work, they can impact career advancement, and they can generally tank an organization's productivity because of all the office politics and righteousness that accompanies these deeply held values. I predict this is going to be a big issue this year. And if not dealt with effectively, it will cost organizations a great deal in turnover, productivity, lack of innovation, and it will ultimately result in decreased customer satisfaction and decreased profits. So it's worth paying attention to. It's also worth noting that the line between the two groups is not often as clear-cut as it seems. Some people who live to work may still value a healthy work-life balance, and some people who work to live may be highly ambitious. So it's not a black and white situation. Many employees fall somewhere in between. While these attitudes towards work can lead to tension in the workplace, it's important to remember that they can also complement each other. Those who live to work can bring drive and ambition to the company, and those who work to live can bring a valuable perspective on maintaining a healthy work life balance, and they can show you how to maximize Netflix time while at work. (laughs) But it still is a problem and it still can be very divisive. So, what is the solution? The best thing to do when there's a values clash of any kind is to put it out in the open and be transparent. When it's operating as a hidden agenda below the surface, it's much more likely to be divisive and get in the way of operations, customer service, and whatever else your organization values. Open communication and mutual understanding is critical. Leaders can encourage employees to share their perspectives and goals and work together to create a workplace that's supportive of both types of attitudes towards work. Now, I wish it were just that easy. And if by communicating more about it, it would just work itself out. But I don't predict that it is that simple. It's highly nuanced. And these values that we're talking about run deep. Communication is an important first step, but we are on the precipice of a seriously changing attitude toward work and the place it holds in our Western world. So let's keep having that conversation and see where this takes us. As all of this unfolds over the coming year and beyond, it's important to recognize that both the live to work and work to live attitudes are going to persist and they are going to have their own sets of benefits and drawbacks. Both sides need to acknowledge that. What's important is to have that healthy and open communication that we talked about and to understand that each person has different priorities, values, and ways of working. And unless you're that one person who talks too much about their cat at the office, (laughs) in that case, you're on your own. (laughs) But for the rest of us, we do need to keep this dialogue going. It may just actually have the chance of changing the way we think about work and where work is positioned in the grander scheme of our lives. One more final note before I go. If you enjoy this content and you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button and knock that little bell so that you'll get notified every single time there's a new episode. I'm also starting to make some other videos on YouTube, so even if you're listening listening on a podcast platform, you'll want to head over to YouTube and subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. You can find me at youtube.com forward slash Janelle Anderson, PhD, wherever you are listening or watching, please leave me a review. It helps other listeners find me and it just plain old makes me feel good until next time. Be well, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference, and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.